How you guys doing out there today? Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and I'm trying to catch up to get ready to go on another trip. Uh, came back from Team Safari. I got a lot to talk about about Team Safari. I had a great time. It was an excellent event, and it, you know there was a, it was different because it's like there's no crowd. You know what I mean? I mean, if there is there, there was like 45 teams, 40-something when people dropped out and blah, 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 whatever the number is. Let's call it 45. It's a round number. I like it. So there was like 45 teams, but throughout the day of shooting, you only see four other people, two guys on one side of you who are, you know, you come up and ARO you, and then two guys that you RO. They do the self-RO thing, which is kind of cool. And I brought that up, officials versus range officers. So, I mean, you got two guys helping you out and everything. It, it's really kind of a, a good deal. But um, again, real quick, thanks to Adam for inviting me. I mean, I I don't know. I I, I don't know why I've never shot a, a competition dynamics match other than the stuff they did for me and the snipers hide matches we've done. But I never really went out. I know they have the gut check matches where they do the 30 miles and all that stuff. And I'm not super... Big fan of that. But the Team Safaris and those kind of competitions, this was really fun. And let's start off and think about the skills you're looking at. Number one, you got to worry about what you're carrying because you're walking about three miles a day forward and back. Okay, now the stages aren't that far from each other. They're probably, I don't know, a couple hundred yards separation. And the cool thing, the staging areas were about 50 yards away. And there was bushes between you and the shooter, so you couldn't see it. So you're coming into these stages completely blind, right? So you put on all your stuff. You got to start. Well, let's start from the beginning, right? I'll, I'll knock it out right from the very beginning. So you have your staggered leave times in the morning. So we had like a, a 8 o'clock leave. We had like an 8.30, then a 9.30 leave, right? So the last day on Sunday, we don't have to be there until like 15 minutes prior, so they'll tell you, your step-off time is 8.30. So you show up at 8.15, right? Good, nice to go. And there's three other people or three other teams there with you. And it's that north-south-west, right? So that's the directions you're shooting. So the north guy heads north, the south guy heads south, and the west guy heads west. Team. I say guy, just reinsert team because that's not how my brain's working today. So... I, you go off and then you do your walk. And it's about a half hour walk in the morning, depending on how fast you go. So, you know, you have a half hour walk to your first stage, give or take. You get there and the team in front of you is probably just finishing up because they stepped off just prior to you. And then you roll right in. And, and as we talked about with Adam, and, and again, thanks to Adam and JP and the rifle, and I'll get into that in a minute because I want to talk about the caliber. But then you get up there and they'll just say, Here's your firing point, and the firing point, you know, you have to reach over and touch. You have to be able to touch the firing point from your shooting position. So it's here's the firing point, here's your left limit, here's your right limit. Some left limit and right limits are narrow. Some left limits and right limits are really wide, which is cool. Okay, and then you have to find, if it's a one by six, you have to find six targets. The gas gun guy has to shoot three of those six, and then the bolt gun guy has to shoot the rest, and the bolt gun guy only gets one round per. 
Okay, so he's got to get all first round hits to to uh, to do that. So that's it, man. You walk up, they say, hey, one by six here. Here's your limit. Here's your limit. Time starts now. Go. And you start from everything in your hand. You know, like your rifle, pack, tripod, whatever equipment. So you have to really think about how you're packing your equipment, right? Because you got to access it. You got to be able to use it and, and all that. Now, uh, questions come up, we use binos. Binos to look, binos to spot, and we're using range-finding binos because we're ranging the same time we're spotting because we really don't want to do it twice. You have six minutes, but that six minutes goes fast. And usually what we did was at a bare minimum, and sometimes it crosses the line. It just depends on how hard it is. But at a bare minimum, we wanted to give the bolt gun shooter at least two minutes. Okay, so now there was times I gave him a lot more than that, especially on a three by uh, a two by three where there's three targets and two firing points where you're moving firing point. That one I might get done pretty quick. And then that gives the bolt gunner an extra bit of time for the movement that he has to make and build his new position. So, uh, you know, that's one thing. But now let's think about that. It's a blind stage. It's unknown. You're walking about 50 yards and you're getting a, a like a. A 30-second brief. There, there, go. Well, now you got to find it. You got to find the targets within that zone and sector that you're you're designated. You got to range it, and then you got to engage it. And engaging it is your WTF, the wind, trajectory, and fundamentals, right? So in building that position, how, how well you can build a position. To me, the tripod is the ultimate thing. There was some stuff where you could have got creative, and it was like, nah, I'll just put the tripod right here and I'll be good. And it, for me, it worked out really great because the bolt gunner gets unlimited rounds. The Or not the bolt gunner, the gas gunner gets the unlimited rounds. The um, bolt gunner gets the one round per. But again, it's moderation, right? Are you disciplined enough to not sit there and fight a target? I, I Like if... If I rolled over a couple more shots than I wanted to while Adam's looking for a different group of targets, he might say, hey, there's a bigger plate over here because maybe the first three I see out of the six, it might be mid-range or something. And as soon as we get three of them, I'm usually dropping down and I'm going to start engage them, you know? So um, it's like, hey, one, two, three, there they are, drop down, start shooting them. Well, what happens is there might be a little one at like, 450 yards in the bushes and I'm having a hard time you know diagnosing the splash and getting on it you mean you could be a tenth or two off with this a six inch diamond at 400 yards and missing it right so oh wait a minute there's one over here at 270 that's bigger okay transition to that bing hit now move on you know but you got to be disciplined to give your bolt gunner time so there's that aspect of it but it's it's skill set it's not a painted target. You have to know what you're looking for. And in general, we got in the six buys, you got four targets that are usually pretty clustered together. And, and what they sometimes did would be like three and three and three, you know, like a cluster over here and a cluster, or it just depends how they strung them out. You know what I mean? Around the terrain. And, but usually there's a little bit of a pattern. If you notice the pattern is going horizontal, okay, most of the time the pattern goes somewhat di uh, diagonal, you know, but normally, like two of them are pretty well hidden. 
in trying to find a rebar in that scrub brush and the juniper and all that crap is not very easy in it, you know, you got to have good glass. You got to have good scanning skills. You got to be able to range these targets correctly. And because sometimes there's hills and little little mounds and things out there, they may skyline a target, right? So you go and you miss the the, the, the plate and you're definitely going to miss the little pieces of rebar and you'll go past it, you know? So you got to make sure you know, hit the base and hit the ground right there at, at the foot of it so that you have a decent range and stuff. But it's find it range it, engage it. Nothing is handed to you and it's as pure a field course as you can get under those situations. And the fact that you're shooting north one day, south another day, west another day gives you that change in look. The terrain for each section is is kind of different too. It's similar, but it's different. You know what I mean? So you're working terrain. Uh, we had some pretty crazy winds this weekend, and our wind formulas served us well. Like on Sunday when the winds really cranked up, we had the most clean stages we had of the entire weekend, and it was the wind calls, man. Like, you know, and, and I'm not trying to say this because there's teams around me that did much better than we did. We overall 17th place or 18th, I think. They must have had a tie or something in there. We originally called 17th. On their paper, we're listed at 18th. Still top 20. Thanks. Great. Adam, good shoot in. You know, it worked out really well that there was, you know, some uh, top 20 for a first time shooting that event. And first time ever being around Adam. I've only ever met Adam from JP at SHOT Show in their booth. I've talked to him on the phone. You know, I'm shooting their rifles, coordinating videos. But... I have no idea anything as far as, you know, this other stuff goes. And so um, it, 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 there's a communication aspect on it. You have to coordinate and communicate, okay? Coordinate and communicate because not all these firing positions have a ton of room, okay? And then you got to be moving one guy in and one guy out with a dissimilar kind of weapon system in a way and with a dissimilar goal, like one of the, the early first day things Adam and I kept talking about was building the position. Because we found, like especially with the bolt gun who needs that first round hit, any instability in his position, back end moving around, something kind of acting a little weird, you know, anything like that, the back movement, that's an easy way to miss, you know? So it, it's... It's really about how well can you get in a position and build it with that natural terrain. And yes, there's similar skill sets. Think about this. A barricade is representing something. But once you have a fixed barricade, you know the heights, you know what's going on, you have the, the, the platform, you know it's going to hold your game changer and do all these things. It's straight. It's square. It's semi-rigid depending on who built it and where you're going and things like that. But it's a fixed obstacle. Well, you may use the same skill, but it could be rocks, a tree, something, the ground's uneven. We had, they had one, like I said, where the rock, uh, they put the dot that you had to touch on the reverse slope of a rock. Then it drops down a foot or two 
goes over two feet out and then you have another rock in front of you. Some people try to sit and bridge across with their bipod, but that means the back end's going to swing a little bit. So you're, you're, you're basically relearning how to quickly build a position under these diverse conditions, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. There's guys who do team safari, steel safari, all that stuff over and over again, you know, five, six, seven, eight times. They're good. They're really good because they've learned, you know, how to adapt to this terrain and environment. But to me, it's a much purer way of doing things. And I really got to congratulate, you know, Competition Dynamics because this is their their claim to fame. This is one of the reasons why they don't get in with the NRL PRS kind of stuff because they are doing things different. They are doing things in a field way that the practical side of it trumps what we're seeing on the other side of the country. You know what I mean? In in on the fringes, I guess if you want to call it. And I I, I don't know, man. I just want to applaud them. It, 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 they did a really good job. Jimmy and Zach and them guys, hell of hell of a um, hell of match directors. You know that they they really move things along. And when things don't move the way they're supposed to, they're like blitzing up on their motorcycles and stuff like that. And they're knocking it out and they're moving along. Our biggest weight. Our biggest wait was 18 minutes, okay? 18 minutes was the longest I had to wait to shoot a stage. Normally, your wait when you show up is inside of six minutes. Think about that. That's outstanding. We were done most days before noon. Then we had the assault courses. Oh, fun. You want that, And that's where it's like the kicker. You do this field course all morning. You go up, you step up, you carry your gear. You go back, you dump your stuff off. Now you got all afternoon on Friday and Saturday to knock out two to four assault courses, however you want to do it. So we did two on Friday, two on Saturday, you know, and they did the handgun assault side. Uh, We did that on Friday. The handgun stuff was super fun. I mean, really, really good stuff. And then we did a combo handgun carbine stuff on um, Saturday. So, I mean, that even adds another element to it, but... There's no crowds. There's no intimidations. You know, I actually was really, really liking the fact the first two days, my name was listed as Mike Bush, right? You know, we laughed about this. Oh, Mike Bush did a hell of a time. Mike, you rocked it, 18th place. Good job, Mike. You know, yay. And, um, but then on Sunday, they put my name. But people actually came up to me, and this happens all the time at matches. People came up and said, we saw you in the parking lot on Thursday night, and we looked at the shooter list and didn't see your name, you know? And it's like, yeah, good. And I'm actually like, you know, in a way, I think I'm going with George Maguccio now, man. I don't think it's going to be Frank at a match anymore. I think it's going to be George is going to show up. You know, maybe make me Frank Carbone. I'm, I think I'll be Frank Carbone for a while. Hey, Frank Carbone's here. And then that way there, it took, I mean, for me personally, I, I, like, I don't care, but I do know it's looked at. And so it makes it for like this annoying thing. Like when I had problems at rifles only, it became a case of like, ah, just fuck it. Who cares? You know, if I miss a stage or not do this, not do that. I mean, I already had a little bit of an issue. Everybody's looking like the competition is so tight. You miss one stage and you drop 10 points in something like those events and everybody's like, you know, every day, 
is looking at where you are and not having that pressure. And it's not pressure. It's just, you know, it's something they'll use to hit you with later. You know, oh, he thinks he's this. He thinks he's that. Look where he placed. It's like, yeah, fucker, I ain't shot a match all year. You know, I shot February and October. And it, it, it's like, those were the two matches I shot. If I shot a match every week like you guys did, damn straight I'd be just as good as you, you know, because you learn, trip. You learn the little things. It's not, it's NASCAR, man, in a way. It's percentages of a second. It's minute, you know, it's percentages of a minute of shooting, you know, and how well you could build that position. So being somewhat, not only anonymous for me, but being without a crowd around you trying to always look at what you're doing makes for a much easier event. So here's the deal. You want to shoot a competition. You want it to be practical and not contrived. You don't want to be on display for everybody that's out there, you know. And, and here's the thing with CD matches. There's no peacocks, man. Because the peacock stuff doesn't really work out well in that environment. You know, everybody has stuff break down. Everybody has some things that go on. And it it's just becomes a case of, well, gee, you know, this environment, it, 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 it's where, where there's a line of people behind you. You got a 20-person squad or whatever the case may be. And they're all watching what you're doing. So for a new shooter, that can kind of be intimidating. So if you go in this way... You don't have a crowd watching you, which to me, I think is really pretty darn smart and to get into that kind of uh, event. So now I want to transition a little bit and go to uh, talking about the 224 Valkyrie. So I shot the JP, the uh, SCR 15, right in 224, shooting 88 grain Hornaday and and swap scopes over i put the three to 20 schmidt on i wanted that resolution for the um for the for the targets and everything and so what we noticed is for the teams running the valkyrie your the gas gun guy is that much more efficient and effective he's getting between one round and three rounds consistently with the valkyrie where the five five sixes, even the guys that were turned on, you know, between three and five rounds, not that big a deal, but big enough. And it really didn't matter. Like, I'll give you an example. One of the last stages, there was a target at like four and change, and it was small. I don't know how big. I'm guessing about six inches. Okay, and it was in the bushes. And, and then there was this, it was twice. It happened two times. There was a rectangle, which I, their rectangles are only as big as the strap. They might be eight inches long, but they're probably only like four inches wide. And so there was this rectangles and, and rectangles screwed with me and the little bitty diamonds. So I'm like, bing, 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 and not nailing it. And it's like, you know, I hit round three, round four, round five, and I'm like, nope, I'm begging off. And I go up and out, there's a bigger target at 600. With a great, out in the open, with a great backstop, dirt around it. It's like a out in the open target at 600. It's like, well, I can't hit this one at four within three to five shots. Then I go over to the big one and I hit it with, you know, two rounds. Second round hit at 600. You know, it was like 610 for that one. And then I moved down. They had, there was this 
um, base of a hill that had these three plates that were bigger. And I shot two of those instead at beyond 600 yards with the Valkyrie and get my hits quicker than trying to shoot a smaller target closer. You know, so the Valkyrie really, really performed. And um, I, I, we, we spent the, our evenings, uh, the group from Minnesota and everything, Federal uh, had one of the guys there. I don't want to out him or anything like that. I don't know what his status. But him and I spent one night talking about the Valkyrie. He had pictures with antelope, shooting antelope, uh, deer, and a hog, I believe. Uh, antelope, deer, and a hog is what he had with the Valkyrie. And let me tell you what, man. Even him talking was like, it kills things above its weight class. Because speed, you know what I mean? And so Federal's definitely fully invested in what this Valkyrie can do. And I think we're going to see more. I mean, think about the changes they're doing in the two. Shut up. In the 224 um, bullets, right? The uh, the 80s, the 80 grain guys like. There's the 85.5s coming out. I think it's Burger or somebody's doing the 85.5s. So, you know, you got the 88s, you got the 90s. And, and so if we talk from 80 to the um, 90s, there's a good crop of high BC bullets out there that are definitely going to be, you know, viable for this Valkyrie that I think dropping down even that little bit of weight, if we keep the BCs up, goes right back to what I was saying with the Creedmoors and the stuff. If you're not getting what you're looking for with the heavy class, Go to the lighter class and speed them up and you'll see similar results because we're dealing with such high BC bullets. And because all that stuff is a product of velocity, if you're not getting the velocity you want, drop down a weight class a little bit. I, I really do think between the 88s and the 85, we're going to see some improvements because you're going to be able to jump that speed up. And th this Valkyrie has just been working and working and working. And then seeing the, the results from the terminal ballistics and what this guy's looking at. I mean, it was some seriously like knockdown DRT right there stuff for these animals with, with a 224. And, and I know I'm pretty much one of the only ones talking about Valkyrie. Everybody's kind of passed on it. I think it's viable, man. I just don't think some of the guys... That are the better, you know, the PRS mouthy ones uh, are looking at it because they want all the this advantage here, there, and the other where. But I definitely think there, there's there's something to be said for what we're seeing, you know. Uh, and then we're gonna fast forward, keeping on the Valkyrie track. Brian Whalen, right? So we see Brian Whalen there. You know all the work Brian and I, you know the podcast we've done, the shooting we've done. So. Brian was there talking about the rifle that we used a year ago to shoot and the stuff, and he had the same bolt gun that he was running from the beginning. He's got, he's estimating, he knows over 4,500, but he believes he's right around 5,300 rounds out of his Valkyrie bolt gun, and he's hand-loading and pushing them as hard as he can. You know what I mean? So he's really rape-aping this thing, and beating the snot out of it. And he's over 5,000 rounds. Now, accuracy is good, but he's definitely got to start chasing his load. You know, so he's starting to see some different things and some pressure signs and some, some different changes in the barrel now with his hand loads. And we were talking about it because he was, he was going to give Adam the upper back 
And he's like, I might give you the upper. I want to change it out, blah, 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 you know. And then it was like, well, wait a minute, but I want to look at it and, and, and play with it and diagnose it. So it was like, just keep it. Well, then I said to him, I said, dude, what you need to do is you need to kind of have a baseline of hand, a factory. Because Brian, you know, Brian's always chasing the hand loads. So I said, well, go out there and get a factory load baseline. And, you know, this is something we probably, or somebody, I, I mean, I didn't do it. And I, I've been shooting nothing, but I'm, I'm not breathing. Hang on. And so I'm going to end up like choking and gagging a minute here. I got to breathe. So wait till, wait till a second. So there we go. So what, what should have happened is we should have had like a base load accuracy on a barrel beforehand. And then with this hand loads and the fact that he's pushing velocity so hard. And when he reached this point in the process, he should go back to a base load of factory ammo to see where the two uh, deviate. But think about this, man. He's over 5,000 rounds pushed as hard as he can. You know, and, and the, here's, here's the downside that I'm hearing from a lot of people. You want to know, we've, we've hit on the downside of the Valkyrie, I think. And this is just the anecdotal sampling of people at Team Safari that were running Valkyries. As I said, we had a team behind us running a Valkyrie. We had a team in front of us running a 223. But what I've heard several times this past weekend with the Valkyrie is they're not getting a lot of reloads out of the brass that they're losing primer pockets, okay? Oh, but it's so damn cheap. I mean, I'm like, okay, who cares? You need to buy American Eagle stuff for $7.99 and replace your brass that you're losing it. But it, it, it does appear to me that you're probably only getting about five hand loads out of, out of the brass, you know, depending on how hard you're putting it. And just to press this point home, put a period on it, Hornaday in their factory loads does stake their primers. Okay. So the primers on the Valkyrie are staked for the Hornaday brass. And, and that, that basically would be the clue we're looking for where we're running into something on the negative side of the Valkyrie. I mean, is it, is it a perfect answer for everything? No, but if you're in a, you know, 600 and in light wind location. It's a money freaking gun for, you know, for saving money and still having a lot of fun being able to do a lot with it and be competitive with it. Like I said, the first day I didn't drop a single round or target. You know what I mean? I hit every target. The second day, um, I dropped two plates and some of them are either because I'm chasing it and begged off in, in, in time or we didn't find it in time and I begged off and said, go shoot, you know? So it was like, I don't see it. And it's rather like me looking to reacquire a target and I'm wasting too much time. And the, believe me, like sometimes without the reference, you got to play that magnification ring. You got to back off. And one of the successes we had little, and I don't know if it's a pro tip to give you or not, but it's a tip that Adam and I used was to go there and to say, they're in the middle. That's our reference point. Come back from there. Everything's going to be based off of this location. And it's something that stood out to us. And, you know, as soon as you walk up and they say, there's your limits, there's your stuff, go. 
first thing we would do is say mound in the middle, spaceship rocks, you know, that over here, bush by itself or something, you know what I mean? And that gave us um, a point of reference. So you're playing that magnification. So when you do kind of get lost in your toilet paper tube of scope, and trust me, I never really shot over uh, 12 power. But what I did notice is at times when I came off the gun and back and I was playing with that magnification ring, I was actually shooting a bunch of targets around 10 power, you know, just because it's a speed thing. And it, the six minutes goes really fast when you're looking. I mean, you're, you're literally spending about the first minute looking. And as I said, what Adam and I did, uh, you know, come the second mid of the second day is come up, set a reference point. And, and this, you know, we had to learn to communicate with each other. Communication's key, guys. That's why reticles match, you know, all these things, communication, communication in a team event. And you got to talk to your ROs as well because you got to bring your RO onto the target that, that we're shooting. And so, you know, we're, we're kind of like going, okay, there's one, there's two, there's three, but you're spending the first minute looking. So the first minute's almost gone, right? Because you're looking for targets. And then once we established the first three targets that I can engage, well, then, um, you know, I drop down and I start shooting them. And in, you know, like one stage, we started looking out, started looking out, and we find five of them. It's like, there's five targets. There's five targets. Okay, let's get them. Boom, 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 boom. All right, there's one missing. Where is it? Well, let's look low. Come down below us, and we start looking low. And sure enough, we might find a target at 130 yards, 90 yards, 185 yards. But because the first thing that caught our eye is a target in the three to 400-yard range, we start finding the five out there. You might you know, beg off on looking inside, you know, because it may not be a hundred yard target, a two, a three, a four. It might be a three, four, five with an 85, you know, it, it, it's, it's varies in, in they're tricky, man. They're not, they're not putting the targets out there as a give me, you know what I mean? They're not painted. You're looking for that black strap. The rebar's rusted, blends in with the terrain you know what? You heard the story. You know what's going on. But that's kind of what we're looking at. So, I, but in this situation, man, in, in, in just looking team on our left, team on our right, the Valkyries were better. Ignore me. Forget what I saw. But we got to see two other people one with a 223, one with a Valkyrie. And the Valkyrie is vastly different. You know, and, and I will say the teams on either side of us were good guys. I, I believe both of them placed higher than we did, you know. So it's not like we're, we're seeing a 30th place team versus a 10th place team. We're seeing top 20 teams, all three of us moving together. And we're gauging our performance based on everyone around us that we see. You know, we'll move up and the guys are ROing us. We'll get, a, um, you know, the, say we got a six. Hey, you, you know, we shot a six this stage. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah, we got a hit six. Okay, got nothing. And so as we're signing the papers off, we'll say to the team that I wrote us, how did you guys do? And they'll go, oh, we got a seven, we got an eight, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, and then you'll go to the guys behind you and you know what they did because you're scoring them. And here's the other thing that, that we did. Number one, we scored everything in marker. Okay, we used a Sharpie. 
our, our scores were written in permanent marker. Okay. Number two, we gave the team in front of us who were ROing us our scorecard. So we didn't even have possession of our scorecard most of the time, you know, and, and, and that was the other kind of key element to it is that we didn't even care. You know what I mean? We wrote it in marker. We gave it and said, hey, well, you're going to need it here anyway. Just hold on to it for the rest of the day. Give it back to us. So, you know, when they gave it back to us, so we're going to walk back to the to the compound. You're going to put your scorecard in the box. You know, it's not like we can go and manipulate it in between the walk because we wrote it in black Sharpie marker and that was it. And then they sign off on it and we all agree and everybody moves on. And there was times, I mean, you know, somebody said, oh, you guys got a six. No, we only got a five, dude. He didn't hit that one. He hit, I hit three, he hit two, you know, and there was boom, boom, boom. Hey, you guys got a four. Nope. I hit three. He hit three. You know, that was a six, not a four, you know, so it's, it's settled right there. And, and, you know, it's just like there was, we, we were almost given a free point and I kind of on the walk in between, I laughed at Adam. I'm like, dude, what are you giving away our free points for? And, but I didn't say anything when the ROs were there, when the other team was there, I didn't go, Oh no, no, let's take the free point. You know, I was kind of just goofing on Adam. Like, Hey man, you left this points on the table, dude. They're going to give us a free one. Nah, we didn't do that. You know what I mean? It's just something to tease each other with, but that's the kind of benefit on being able to build a system like this that works, that's fair, and that everybody can get behind. And it's, we, you know, seven stages a day there, plus two assault stages. And it, it works out really good, man. It, it's, it's not like there's this, like, massive point thing you have to deal with. Now, when they do the assault courses and the timings and all this stuff, I was, like, looking at the score sheet going, I don't get the time part. I don't know what I'm getting out of that thing, but whatever. Because they'll give you time and points and all these other times plus hits and, and dirt certain things. So to me, it's it's a lot on the score sheet, but it's a little, you know, but that's their deal, not mine. But uh, great sponsors out there. I gave my, and I'm not even going to tell you, forget it. Uh, but no, great sponsorships for everybody. They had nice things and stuff, and it was great seeing the, the different people. You know, Dorgan wins up wing, winning it. Dorgan's local up here. He had Andy Reinhardt, who's local. We'll see Andy around. Great shooter, great guy. Ran the assault stage for us, uh, one of the pistol stages. You know, so then you get to see Austin Angus and those guys with the AA targets and AA Ron Ron, and, um, who's Mike's, you know, buddy. They hang out. We did the podcast with A-Ron. And then uh, Brian and, and all the different guys. So you're still getting that. You know, everybody's eating at the annex, although we got food one night. <laughs> I don't even want to. One of the, yeah, I can't even go there. It's too, it's not PC enough. Dude, what is up with the hate crime stuff? Like somebody's saying, like just saying bad words now. They're like, if somebody hears you say a bad word, you can be busted for like a hate crime against you. It's like, holy shit, I'm fucked. It's like. I say non-PC stuff all the time. And now if I say it in public, I can get burned for it for being hateful. Holy man, you guys are going out of your minds with this stuff. I don't even know where to go with that. I, I, I really, really don't. But I, I read a couple articles today coming back. You're in that kind of blackout when you're out there. And then you come home, get in front of the computer, start reading shit. And it's like, God damn, man, I'm screwed. You know, I'm going to be end up nailing on the hate crime thing. But anyway... Just to kind of go there, I, I I really like the format. I really like the Bino thing. I think it's practical uh, 
you know, find it, range it, engage it. Nothing's handed it to you. And in a way, it's like fair for everyone, but it's also creative. People talk about, you know, the gaming stages in a PRS match where somebody runs back to their car and gets the cooler. Somebody gets a milk crate. Somebody does this. Somebody does that. And they're gaming the stage. You know, they're being creative. Well, because they can walk back to their car and grab shit. Well, here, you could do the same thing in a way, but you got to do what's on your back. You know, it may be a case where you got the um, the pin, the marker, that you have to reach and touch. Well, the first day, we always put our dick on the pin. You know what I mean? We kind of laid right on top of it. Then, after seeing guys like, you know, it's like, okay, if we lay right on top of the pin, we got to go to our tripod. Can't see over this rock. Can't see over this bush. But if we went two feet to the left, we could have went prone. You know, and after the second day, I said to Adam, I said, dude, I said, you got long arms, man. We got to start kind of moving around the pin a little bit and getting a little more creative so we can find the windows to shoot, you know, from a little bit more stable position. Although I, I honestly, I defaulted to my tripod a bunch and it served me really, really well um, because I can do follow up shots. Would it have always worked for the bolt gun? I don't think so because there was a couple more. Because there's, you have the ability to stabilize the shot a little bit more. Maybe instead of standing up and shooting it like I did, I should have went to kneeling. And that would have been just enough to clear what I needed to. You know what I mean? So the kneeling should have been a little bit more stable. I could have just brought a puff pillow instead of the... I brought the um, Comanche... I could have went with the puff pillow for my arm and then maybe like a pint-sized game changer or a taffy. Because I really, I mostly used my um, war horse as a rear bag. I didn't, I think I might have used it once. Adam used it one day, the first day, and he felt it was a little too small having the Comanche for him because he needed to be up a little taller off of that position. So he went to the big tactical utter one and he ended up carrying that. But one guy can carry a heavy bag. The other guys can carry light bag. And you could divide because at that point you're going to share. And then the, um, the, the uh, last couple things I want to say. I used my Vorn Lynx pack. Okay, the Vorn Lynx is the one I carried in um, Colville and when I shot that match. And that has that quick parachute release for your rifle. Perfect size, perfect weight. Perfect way to carry your rifle, okay? It, it, it protects the scope. It protects everything. It's going inside the pack. And so moving around and things like that, the wind's blowing, the dust is kicking up, and that's got that powder-fine dust out there because it's so dry, right? So um, my Vorn pack, Vorn Lynx, and it's the right size for me, but I know I'm pretty sure Vorn makes different sizes for different people. My Vorn Lynx was definitely kick-ass, Worked really well. And then one of the mornings we got up and we were heading out and it was like 42 degrees. But every day was over 70. It was gorgeous out other than the winds. We had, you know, big winds. But weather-wise, it was gorgeous. But we had the crispy morning. So you don't want to carry too much because you know you're going to have a half hour to 45-minute walk anyway. And you don't want to get sweated up. So then I carried the um, Verslika, the Sharma hoodie, right? That, that merino wool. Perfect. Perfect. Loved it. So the um, that that stuff really, really worked out well um, for me. And it, it was the right weight, right 
write everything to go out there and to do that without carrying too much for it. So thumbs up to the Merino wool, thumbs up to the Sharma, 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 and the Veras Lekka. So I, somebody asked me about it. I put a link in a whole bunch of things on my Facebook page. And if you need to find it on Sniper's Hide, um, it, it's over there. But those guys, their they're stuff, like I said, cheaper than like the triple alt that I wear. And I love my triple alt stuff. Don't get me wrong. I dig it. But it's expensive. And the $10 shipping coming over from um, Finland over there, big deal. 10 bucks flat rate shipping, done. You know, the only thing is, yeah, we're not going to get it overnight. I get it. Now, I don't, again, I got a caveat because of the Alaska guys. Guys, I don't know what shipping Alaska is going to be. Alaska's its own fucking country. You guys are all in your own planet. So you're on your own up there. But if you're a Merino Wool fan, like I'm a Merino Wool fan and that stuff, there you go. Um, that, that really worked out well. And, and all I had to do was wear base layer and I put on the Sharma hoodie and I was good to go. And that was my attire. I had my Arteryx uh, leaf pants, you know, the uh, the cry or not. Yeah, it's not cry, multicam. Yeah, I guess it is cry. But my Arteryx ones, I have the Arteryx leafs. And uh, so I wore those pants the whole time. Solomon boots, uh, you know, I do the leaf boots, um, the the GTs or whatever the heck they're called. And um, so I, I'm doing the Solomon uh, boots lease. I think I get my Solomon boots from like US Elite. And then I was doing the Arteryx uh Leaf pants. Uh, I had Vormi, which is a local Colorado, was my base layer. And then I did the Verslika Sharma for the um, for the uh, my over-the-top, which was just the Merino hoodie. Perfect, right? No problem, no overheating. And then when it stuffs in my pack, I don't have to worry about it. So think about it, though, really. The, the Vorn pack and the, uh, and the Merino wool were both from the Scandinavians up there, right? So I, I think those guys would know weather pretty darn well in, in, in that kind of edge of warm, getting cold, crisp in the morning, warmer in the afternoon, you know, they're spring and falls kind of thing. And, and, and it worked out really well for me. So I was definitely happy about that and, and, and what was going on. So, um, yeah, man, it, it, it worked out really well, but, the Adam, we had Kurt there, we had Dustin, Jeremy Johan was who we hung out with that uh, for for the evenings, and and had a great time with those guys. The first time I think I drank too much, but after that I was pretty mellow with it. Um, and and that worked out. We had a little Airbnb out on the lake, a Ute Lake, and uh, it was only you know fifteen minutes from the range and five minutes from the restaurants and the gas stations and all that stuff. So that that was a nice little score for us. Uh, the Airbnb things they had going on. I guess a lot of people have lake houses there that they'll Airbnb out because um, there, there was a couple separate ones. But all overall, fun time, good weekend, learned a lot, got to experience some stuff and, and really happy with the results. You know, I, I, I can't complain one little bit uh, about coming in 18th or whatever uh, for that, for just packing up and going, you know, a couple days later and no practice or anything. And, and, and I thought... Uh, what, what does it end up being? Seven stages times a day. I don't even know how many stages I shot. So it'd be seven, 21 stages, maybe times three. So three, six, so 60 something shots. I dropped five all weekend. Um, you know, or 60 something targets, 63 targets. Maybe I was responsible for, and I believe I dropped five. 
So I'm not going to complain about that either. I thought my performance was pretty good. Um, But it's a practical course, man. So here's the deal, dude, as well. And I mentioned this a little with Adam. Your LE. You don't like the contrived nature of PRS. You don't like the strutting peacock stuff. You don't like some of the other things that are going on. But you want to be practical. You want to up your game. You want to learn what's going on. You want to see what other guys are doing. Equipment. This. Because there was a lot of LE sheriff departments. Like local. That kind of four corners. Texas, Colorado, New Mexico. Um uh, LE that are out there in the, in the, in the brush, you know, border guys, things like this. If you're a Southeast or rural, like really rural LE guy, this is the match you want to up your game with. You know what I mean? This is the one that's going to fall right into your wheelhouse and you don't have to worry about the, the optics of it. You know what I mean? You can kind of, you can control your optics. Uh, uh, as a fa- matter of fact, it, it was pretty funny. There was a, a team, there was, a, I guess, three teams from Oklahoma, LE. They did a side bet and they made their own little like silver bullets and stuff. And they they had two silver bullets that were given to their, they had, so they had an inside bet and they awarded from the inside bet to the team of, and there was an LE crew. You know, so, hey, there you go. You can have something within your own department if you have more than one team that's out there operating and you can create a side bet and competition dynamics honored that before they went into the formal presentation of the scores and who did what they they let this award thing happen for the local team. Pretty cool, man. Think about it. I look at I honestly do look at like I know originally when I talking with CD and stuff. They kind of saw themselves as sort of the nomad crowd, you know, like motorcycles, like a nomad team, you know, because they're not PRS, they're not NRL. But really, when you look at it, they're grassroots, man. They're more of a grassroots following a grassroots because the shooters are doing it alongside them. They're creating a venue to bring the shooters in, and then they're putting everything on the shooter and the shooters holding it up. You know, they, 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 they manage the property, the target array, and set the situation. But then we're shooting and scoring it in a lot of ways. And then they go and manage that and officiate it and then pour the scores back at you. So it's really more of a great, really, my voice went really two octaves up. Really? Um, so it's more of a great, oh, it's doing it again. I'm fried. Uh, I'm, I'm actually beat up black and blue. I, I, and then I banged my leg up yesterday and screwed it all up um, big time. But, um, yeah, so I'm feeling I'm feeling a little bit. I don't recover like I used to, man. You're doing three miles plus a day, walking, carrying a pack on my back, and then shooting and doing all that stuff. I just don't recover like I used to. Got to admit it. Sucks. I don't feel like my brain doesn't feel like that, but my body's definitely going, dude, you're a dickhead. So, um, anyway... All right, guys, thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I'm going to be heading to Treadproof this week. We got Treadproof this weekend. We might get a little bit of rain, but the, actually the, the forecast is getting better and better the more I look at it. At first it was like all rain. Now it's like, you know, we'll probably do about 25% of the weekend will be rain. No big deal, man. It is what it is. Ain't raining, ain't training, man. Ain't raining, ain't training. Uh, quick shout out to the Ranger guys around us. Hope you guys are safe and good and all that stuff. We had a Ranger team uh, in front of us. 
Again, military LE, if you, if you want that practical application, the, the competition dynamics matches are it. You know what I mean? It, it really is like playing the PRS format. And it's why I like Phil's match, you know, Phil Vallejo in the, in the uh, gun works because, you know, one day's PRS-ish, so you're getting that skill set. The next day's field-ish, so you got that skill set. This is more field-ish in the find it, range, and engage it, but I don't like they're not handing it to you. It's like no big white targets, no, you know, no range or, or, or no match booklets so you can game and spell out what's going on. No pointing out the targets to you. You got to find them. You know, it, it's all these skills that's supposed to be a revolve around being a marksman. And I, you know what I mean? And it's on you. If you're, if you're big and bad enough that you want to carry a 26 pound gun, I didn't see it, but you could do it, but you're going to feel it. You know what I mean? Do you want to haul around that much gun walking up and down Hills and moving around? And let me say, you know, it's not all flat at all. So it's that loose sand. Somebody had said, like, uh, they saw Andy Reinhardt's video, and he slipped on the loose sand because he was running during the assault stage. And they did it, like, in, you know, less than 45 seconds. Most people were averaging, like, 120 seconds, give or take, you know, 125 seconds. And, um, you know, so those guys ran it in, like, 45. So that ground will come out from under you. It's like being on a beach, really, when you're walking that terrain. Um, cause the sand is just that loose, that powdery and all that stuff. So, you know, you're really looking at all elements of your equipment, you know, slim it down. And like Adam said, um, when we were, when we were, uh, discussing, we know we had a good thing going when the only change that was made was he wanted to carry his tactical udder cause he wanted the taller bag versus my Saracen or, or my Warhorse commando, you know, or Comanche rather commando Comanche, uh, instead of my Comanche, he wanted the taller bag, which would have ended up being the, the Saracen is what he was looking for. You know, I just wasn't going to carry a dang Saracen every day like that. The Comanche was perfect for me, though. I think it, it, it matches my shooting. I've learned to adapt with that really, really well. So, yeah, if I went to a PRS match where I'm only going 10 yards in front of the parking lot, I'll carry, a, you know, a Saracen. Field course, carry the Comanche. You know, pint-sized game changer versus full-sized game changer. It's where do you make the compromises? Where do you do all these different things? All right, guys, that's it for me. I'm going to jet out of here. Thank you for listening. Thank oh, real quick, man. Charitable. Uh, chartable. Char- chartable. Chartable sent me an email today. We're top 100 in the Apple podcast now. So we've kind of dipped into the top 100 of podcasts on Apple. Whoa, dudes, that's all you. I really, really, really appreciate it, okay? Being in the top 100 of Apple podcasts now is a big deal to me, you know what I mean? To me, that's kind of like, wow, man, we're, we're kind of going into that, you know, crossing that that line, and, and you guys are really making it, putting it out there, and, you know, as long as we keep getting this kind of response, I'll be out here every other day or so talking about it and doing some more and in, in, in all these different things. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And uh, have a good Halloween. Is there a ghost? Where's my ghost? Oh, no. Oh, there's the ghost. Halloween ghost. I didn't do the house up this year. So anyway, I will talk to you guys later. I'm out of here.
Ciao.